Hi, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Physiani podcast. Or if you're new, then welcome to the Physiani podcast. Uh, if you're coming back to the Physiani podcast, you might be able to tell that my setting in general is, is very different from my usual where I'm uh, sitting next to my computer. Uh, this time around, I'm actually on vacation. And while I did take a week off from the podcast, which is why the podcast was missing last week, um, I thought that I didn't really, I, it kind of pains me to, to miss particular uploads. So um, I am decided to actually try to do one this week. And the reason for that is because uh, I was in, on vacation, or I am on vacation, uh, in Wisconsin at the moment visiting uh, family. So kind of in this remote location out in the middle of, of uh, the, the back country in the, in the woods. I very well have almost no cell signal here. So it's been, it's been fun, but it's, it's been nice to sort of disconnect because really, I'm not really disconnecting to be honest, um, because I, I've been thinking and ruminating about this whole physionic and trying to come up with better content and try to come up with uh, with different directions for physionic, which actually brings me to my first topic for uh, today's podcast. And just to briefly discuss what I'm all, all overall going to be discussing is uh, I asked for on Instagram and on YouTube, I asked for feedback on or more so questions that I could answer in a Q&A format. So I'm going to be discussing answers to a few different questions, uh, like the origin of the virus, uh, which I released a video over a year ago discussing the origin of the virus. But somebody asked if my views had changed on that. I'm also going to be discussing uh, the amount of protein that your body can uh, use in one meal. Uh, how does... Uh, protein consumption affect lifespan, ideal body fat for testosterone, as well as uh, what's kind of the threshold if you consume 20 grams of protein. So how often can you consume 20 grams of protein, as well as water weight from creatine? Is it temporary bloat or is it a permanent thing? So those are a few of the questions, or those are going to be the questions that I'm going to be answering uh, based off of what you guys gave me uh, in this podcast. However, first I'd like to quick address a video that I released just a couple days ago, well, several days ago on Saturday or Sunday, which was an impromptu video that I, I was just, like I said, I've been thinking so much about how I can improve physionic, and I thought about doing these these themes that... Uh, can have series of videos and then lead to an overall conclusion. So we have many studies that lead up to the conclusion that we have, and you can follow my thought process. And then, of course, suggest uh, studies that kind of feed into that theme. And, you know, if if after that conclusion video, then we've, you know, I end up discovering more studies or people bring to, bring to light more studies that end up co contradicting or slightly altering that conclusion, then you know, I'll cover those studies and then we'll alter our conclusion. You know, that's just how science works. But uh, so I, I brought this forward in this video and I, I wanted your guys' feedback. And I, I have to say, I am incredibly thankful to, to everybody. I mean, so many people commented and uh, were incredibly positive, but also offered a few critiques, a few things that uh, they felt that I could potentially improve. And that was so valuable. I, I really, really appreciated it. And uh, I, I will definitely be taking many of those suggestions to heart. And I will definitely be uh, 
using many of those suggestions uh, going forward. And I really feel like, I genuinely feel, at least uh, you know, before I actually start going down this road, that I do think that it's going to be really helpful. It's going to be extremely beneficial to the, to the brand, and I do think that it's going to help uh, more people. It's going to help people get a, a more definitive answer behind certain things, even if it slows down uh, the number of topics that I can cover. But regardless, the, the overall idea of Physionic isn't changing and never will. Um, but thank you for the feedback. I, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, you, guys, you guys had such intelligent and, and thought-provoking ideas and a lot of repeated ideas, a lot of intelligent repeated ideas that, it, it, you know, those definitely sank in. So, uh, again, big thank you. That meant a lot. Okay, so now let's uh, let's discuss a few of these. Uh, I'll have timestamps if you'd like to just skip two particular ones. Uh, I guess I mean I'm, I'm what like five minutes into this already. But if you're if you're not familiar with who I am, my name's Nick. Um, I'm a PhD candidate in molecular medicine. Hold my master's in exercise physiology. And I'm a researcher. I did research for a while, and I also have some training in nutrition science. Uh, so, with that introduction out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into uh, a few of these questions. Uh, is it true that your body can only consume a certain amount of protein per meal? Okay, so uh, that is not true. Um, that actually stems from a video that, or a podcast, actually, I think the very last podcast, which was on protein, protein timing, protein amount, protein quality, all that stuff. I covered that in that particular podcast episode, and... Um, that actually isn't true. Uh, we can definitely absorb, the idea was that you couldn't absorb more than 20 grams of protein or 30 grams of protein or some arbitrary amount. And it's not actually the case because we absorb almost all the protein that we consume. We, we, we absorb almost all the macronutrients that we consume. I mean, there are certain factors that can change that, but it's like over 90% of what we consume actually goes into our bloodstream. So we're incredibly efficient in that way. However, uh, the idea then being that your muscles can only use a certain number of grams. And that part is sort of true, right? Because we saw from the data that I presented in that podcast or discussed in that podcast that 20, you know, 20 grams was going to lead to a, a pretty sizable jump in muscle protein synthesis. 40 grams was going to lead to not a doubling, but, you know, 10, 20% increase in muscle protein synthesis. And then after that, you get really, really diminishing returns. So if you consume, let's say 50 grams of protein in one meal, Will that get absorbed into your bloodstream? Yes, it will. Uh, will it maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis? Yes, it will, because uh, you'll be getting over that 40 gram threshold, or really 20 grams, but you know, I mentioned a slight benefit from 40 grams. Uh, so yes, your, your muscles, everything will be used, and whatever leftover protein there is will also be distributed to the rest of your body. And that's something that people, I mean, we we're so focused on muscle, we're so focused on lean tissue, that we sort of just kind of forget about the fact that literally every single cell in our body needs protein. So uh, it's, it's going to be taking up protein. Once it's, and we definitely absorb more than 20 grams of protein. So I, I wouldn't worry about that one bit. Although that is a very common thing that you, you hear uh, very often. And they're usually talking about muscle specifically 
And in that case, there is some truth, but you need to be more specific about the question in general um, when when discussing it. And a lot of people typically aren't. Uh, How does protein consumption affect long-term life, lifespan? Uh, I have a podcast where I discussed how fasting, low calories, thing protein, all that stuff affects lifespan. And by comparison to health span, right, um, there's kind of a middle ground that you can reach for where you get a a little bit of each, right? So if you're really healthy, if you're muscular, if you move around a lot, if you cardiovascular health, all those things, then you tend to have great health span and you also tend to push your lifespan forward or as in, well, I guess back, uh, meaning that you live longer. But if you really want to live a a decent amount longer, even beyond uh, this nice balance between health span and lifespan, and you want to focus more on lifespan, then you would cut down your calories, you would fast, you would do all these things that essentially slow down growth in your body. And uh, that can actually extend your life by several years, uh, most likely by several, several years. However, the, the downside of that is that you're taking away from health span. So you might not be very mobile. Uh, you might uh, end up living, let's say, to 103 years old, but from 95 years old, or even for a good portion of your life, uh, you are going to be pretty, maybe not sickly, not like, like on your deathbed or anything like that, but you're going to be suffering. Uh, you're not going to be strong. You're not going to be uh, fit. You're not going to be able-bodied in many ways because you're, you're literally putting yourself in a constant deficit, constant energy deficit, and eventually that really wears on your body, even if your cells aren't growing. And that's the benefit, of course, that your cells aren't you know dividing constantly because you are in this deficit. However, you're also taking away a lot of minerals from your bones if you do it for years and years on end. So going to protein specifically, how does protein consumption affect? So protein consumption reduces lifespan. And I don't want you to walk away from this again, thinking this crazy notion of like, well, then I have to avoid protein. You have to have protein for, for life. For the next month, you have to have protein. So be consuming protein in the immediate time now, uh, lessening the amount of protein that you consume might be beneficial towards that, towards living a a healthier life. But uh, if you are exercising, you absolutely need more protein. So regardless, again, it's that balance of health span versus lifespan. So yes, consuming large amounts of protein, just like the idea of consuming large amounts of calories will decrease your lifespan, even I'd probably say independent of the weight gain that you might have, even independent of the obesity factor that might come in. Like if you were to consume a lot of calories and not be gaining body fat, let's just imagine a world like that, um, you would still probably be reducing your lifespan. So and protein falls into that same category. If you massively overconsume protein when you don't need it, then that is a growth signal, continuous growth signal, and you're going to be shortening your lifespan. Uh, maybe not by anything noticeable. So as usual, it's really just a, a trying to figure that out for yourself. Do you want to live really long and suffer the consequences of health? Or do you want to have a really health, great health span and just be like a, a raging fire for a quote-unquote short period of time? Which I'm definitely saying short because, quote-unquote, because 
it's it's not like you're going to live to be 40 and then die. I mean, you're still going to live a long life. Uh, you know, a lot of that is determined by genetics as well. So uh, protein, yes, but does it make a massive difference? No, it's going to make a, a small difference. And again, if you are performance-based, you have to be consuming protein. And you're not going to be unhealthy for it. So keep that in mind as well. Okay, uh, ideal body fat for testosterone. Oh man, uh, that's that's really difficult, and of course it's going to be a range. Um, I think anything, I th it, it's going to really depend on where your physiological status is at the moment. So let's say if you're 35% body fat, and I have content on this, I've I've discussed this particularly um, with a reduction in body fat, uh, how that affects our testosterone levels specifically. And so let's say you start 35% body fat, you're a man and you drop down to 20% body fat. Typically, you see increases in testosterone. But eventually, you get to a point, let's say around like 10, 8, 5% body fat, and your testosterone starts to plummet. Uh, and there's a number of different reasons for that. Uh, but overall, it's just because you are in such a deficit. Again, and this is in a short-term context in this situation, that uh, your endocrine system starts to release fewer and fewer of those particular molecules that are going to make you anabolic, that are going to be uh, building musculature or building anything, really anything, uh, because anabolic isn't specific to just musculature. So an ideal body fat range, I don't know, 10, 10%, let's say 10% to... 18%, 15%, something like 10 to 15% for men and a few percentage higher for women. Uh, probably, I don't remember the exact, probably around like 18 to over 20 something percent, 25% for women because women have to have more fat on their body just to be physiologically healthy. So I think probably in the 20% range or higher for, for women. Uh, not that testosterone is quite as much of importance for women as it is for men, but there you go. Hopefully that gives a, a, some idea. And this is just a, I'm throwing out a ballpark because it's really, it's not, you, can, you can't pinpoint 11.3%. That's the, the perfect mark for everyone because it just doesn't work that way. Uh, if you consume 20 grams of protein in each meal, what is the threshold at which your cells stop protein synthesis. Yes, so this is actually going back to the podcast again that I mentioned last week, uh, where I discussed I discussed a lot of different things. But one of them was this um, this not anabolic resistance. I can't remember the the term for it, but it's essentially this idea that um, if you consume, let's say, 20 grams of protein, and then you consume 20 grams of protein again, like let's say an hour later, um, there is this lack of ability for the cells to then uh, react or to increase protein synthesis. So you consume protein, protein synthesis within the cells, so the production of new proteins for the growth of, let's say, muscle cells will increase. Um, and that's with 20 grams of high-quality protein, something that's filled with leucine as a great example, along with all the other essential amino acids. And then uh, let's. And then you're thinking, well, you know, that increased my protein synthesis, and it's still elevated. But why not try to elevate it again, some even more? Well, then you consume 20 grams an hour later, 
and it doesn't do that. It doesn't, uh, the muscle full effect, that's the name of the, the, the condition. Your cells actually start to decrease their muscle protein synthesis, even though you just added more protein to the cells. Uh, and the reason is because of this muscle full effect. There's probably some sort of cell signaling within the cell that ends up cutting off protein synthesis. And it, I don't know exactly the reason why, but uh, I'm sure that there's some sort of biological reasoning. Maybe it has something to do with cancer, uh, cancer protection mechanism, because cancer is going to have highly upregulated, uh, increased uh, protein synthesis. So what is the threshold? Uh, I think I said in the video, like three hours, something like that. So every three hours you can consume protein and re-stimulate muscle protein synthesis or protein synthesis as a whole. Uh, so the idea being that you, with that first meal that you increase protein synthesis, it's increased and then it, you have to allow it to start to, to fall back down, to resensitize itself essentially to the next bolus, to the next consumption of protein. So uh, then, you know, that would be like two to three hours later. Uh, however, if you are just gobbling down protein, just like injecting protein into your veins uh, and arteries and constantly consuming protein, let's say 50, every 15 minutes just knocking down a protein shake, your amino acid levels in your, your bloodstream will be really high, which is, seems great, but then you actually measure the protein synthetic ability of your, your muscle cells and you'll find that um, it's, it's not increased and it's actually decreasing regardless of the fact that there are so many amino acids and a lot of leucine found in, uh, in the bloodstream. So hopefully that answers your question. Roughly every three hours, 20 grams or more, right? Or more, definitely. Some people have to be consuming more. I have to be consuming more than 20 grams per meal. Uh, another one is water weight from creatine. Uh, is it temporary bloat or permanent? Well, that depends. Um, so creatine water weight itself is permanent if it is actually coming from the creatine that is intramuscular. So it has to be inside of the muscle cell. And if it is inside the muscle cell, then it's going to be pulling in a bunch of water with it. So with each creatine molecule that enters the cell, once you saturate that cell with creatine, it also has to pull in a bunch of water. So that is going to increase the overall volume of the muscle cell, which makes it look a little more fuller, you know, makes it look fuller and makes it look quite good. Um, and obviously your performance increases and whatnot, depending on what kind of performance we're talking about, what kind of exercise, or what kind of activity we're talking about. Um, and then uh, that is a permanent change. So that's going to be reflected on the scale. It's going to be multi many pounds. Uh, it can be as little as like one pound or, you know, like let's say less than half a kilogram, four, 300, 400 grams. And then it it, it can also get as high as several kilograms, so many pounds, um, of an increase in weight. Uh, but it, as long as you're continuing to take creatine, it's not going to be fluctuating back and forth. Okay, uh, however, there is an example where it could be bloat. And that depends on the type of creatine that you end up consuming, because certain creatines uh, can sit in your, in your intestines. Uh, if you uh, don't consume it with enough water, for example, if you're mixing it in a teeny tiny amount of water, or if it's not micronized creatine, which is a, a smaller version of the creatine, so a more compact version of the creatine molecule. Um, or uh, there are also different formulations of creatine. Some of them are 
uh, easier absorbed than others, or if you consume it with particular foods, or, you know, there's all kinds of different combinations. So if you're using a creatine and it, you are, your, your stomach itself is actually like bloating, that is not getting into the muscle. Like it could be getting in the muscle as well, but uh, you have an issue with the creatine just kind of sitting in your stomach or sitting in your intestines. Um, and in that situation, I actually discuss this in my book, uh, there are a few different things that you can do, but ultimately you can just change your creatine. Just try a different creatine. Uh, one of the most popular ones, a really cheap one that also works and will lessen this, this bloating is micronized creatine. So give that a shot. And uh, otherwise, drink more water, you know, drink maybe double or triple the amount of water as you mix it with creatine. And although you might feel more full in a moment, uh, it's not going to create the actual bloat. It's going to uh, dilute the creatine so it can get absorbed more easily. Um, that's another example. So just a few things to try. Uh, and in that situation, then you would be getting rid of the bloat, so it is temporary. Okay, the final thing that I want to discuss is these, uh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say on, on YouTube at this point without this uh, getting flagged and getting no traction whatsoever, which is, is already tough enough on YouTube. But um, the origin of this whole uh, virus thing, the, the whole pandemic. Well, I, I guess I'll just go ahead and say the right terminology because, uh, you know, I'm, I... Uh, who cares? <laughs> it's just easier. Um, so I, I'd released a video uh, in March of last year, and this was a video that where I broke down the genetic sequence of the, the COVID-19 uh, virus, the SARS-CoV-2. And within that video, I discussed some potential like evidence. It was circumstantial. I think I definitely said that in the video because uh, I, I recognize that this was a really early data and uh, b that uh, you know anything could change and even just looking you know looking at the genetic sequence doesn't tell you definitively where a virus comes from right. Um, however, you know based off of that review that uh, review of the the genome or the yeah the the genome it uh, seemed that it was probably a cross between the, the pangolin and uh, the, the bat coronavirus. And while there's still, that's all absolutely true, right? There's still like a 90, I think it was like 96% or 98% similarity to the bat coronavirus. Uh, it does seem that, again, based off circumstantial evidence or, uh, yeah, circumstantial evidence, that, you know, more more information has come out that's more political. It's not really, it's not science. So it's it's not like uh, I can look at the gene sequence again and then think, oh, suddenly my opinion has changed. That's all still true. It's all the exact same. However, obviously, politically, things have changed in terms of us learning about uh, a lab in that location and uh, the, the, the potential leak of the a virus from that lab and of course people getting sick from that lab that have uh, specific like symptoms that are very much like like what we uh, we've been suffering through over over the the last year and a half so yes i would say that my personal opinion has certainly changed in terms of what i feel is uh the truth 
Um, however, that is not, again, based off of anything that's changed in terms of the science itself. Uh, I think that has still stayed the exact same. The genetic sequence hasn't changed, except for obviously a few of the variants that have uh, that have emerged. And beyond that, now that's it. I'll probably post a um, an update on that video. It's a really popular video. People really went crazy. People really went at me for sure. Um, but I'll probably post an update. But you know, you gotta you, you gotta update based off of the available information and the available information for me at least again from more of a political standpoint makes complete sense that it's probably more likely that it came from there as opposed to from a cross between a pangolin and a bat even with even in 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 uh, even though there is uh, that that strong similarity uh, in in that particular virus does that change anything for me no it doesn't change anything for me. But uh, there you go, if you're interested. Okay, well, uh, guys, that's what I've got for you. Those are a few questions. Uh, next time I do a Q&A, be sure to write in a few questions that you might be interested in me discussing. And with that, as always, again, thanks again for all the feedback. And uh, I, will, I will catch you in the next one. Have a good one, guys. See ya.